Hey, let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Let's pray and let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, God, who sends forth your commandments upon this earth and whose word runs very swiftly, let your Holy Spirit come to us and prepare our minds and teach our wills that no carelessness or shallowness or love of ease hinders us from bringing forth fruits of righteousness by which all may know that we're followers of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good to see all of you again. Missed you. It's nice to be back. Um, lots of little things to talk about. You should begin to think, though, about Lent. So next week, already Transfiguration, and then the 40 days, uh, the quarantine, right, the, the, from the old Latin word. Um, so uh, the 40 days of Lent. And we've talked about fasting a lot in the past. I probably won't talk about it quite as much this year. But you remember fasting is this response to a sacred moment. And uh, the sacred moment is set between the time of Jesus' temptation and the time that he's resurrected from the dead. So you might begin to think about that. One of the great things about St. John is how easily this comes to us now. All the things that normally you wouldn't talk about in the congregation, and I often talk to other pastors about how to get started or how difficult it is when they do get started with these things, talking about money, talking about fasting, talking about spiritual discipline, talking about all the extra things that the church does. We're so fortunate that we have those things right at our fingertips. So I'll think about it a little bit this week, but I think most of you don't need too much, uh, too much of a nudge to um, think this through. As always, you know, sort of with some discipline and some thoughtfulness to uh, one of the re- ways that the fasting goes badly is if we um, try to take on too much. You know, this can happen. We talked about this with your prayers, too. If you try to take on too much, it's a recipe for failure. And also, uh, the point is not, of course, to generate guilt over the course of 40 days. The, 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 The point is to focus our attention. And so when we give something up and we struggle with that or reminded about that or set the clock for that, it takes us to the next thing that we think about, um, that we're walking with Jesus, we're on the way to Jerusalem, um, that we come to the triduum, that the, the, the death and resurrection comes to us as a gift. So begin to think about that. Uh, you're good at it. You've done it in the past. We can talk about it more next week if you prompt me a little bit. If you have questions, of course, give us a call. But one of the pastors would love to help you. But please begin to think about what you might be um, giving up during Lent as uh, a proof of piety. You know, just what we prayed about. Let your Holy Spirit be in us so that people see us and know that we follow Jesus. So once you break this old Lutheran canard of anytime you do a good work, you're trying to work your way into heaven. I mean, it was genius today, the the Heidelberg Confession in in the sermon. God doesn't look around in the room and love the lovable. God looks around the room and loves the unlovable, right? He loves the unlovable. He loves you and he loves me. We're all unlovable. He loves us. And in response to that, what, what does memory do for us? We remember how God loves us, that humbles us, it leaves us grateful, and so we're willing to follow along. So think about that. Lent is uh, right on the doorstep. Now, all I have this cryptic note, offering to Spain, P.S., I got a hug from Dr. Jess yesterday. It was great. <laughs> I'm wondering who wrote this, actually. Where is she? Ah, yeah, she's teaching Sunday school. Okay, well, I mean, I feel the same way when I get a hug from Dr. Just. 
I feel great. So they're in Israel this morning, and your vicar is in Israel with them. We thought that'd be a good, little good continuing ad. Again, you know, this is the sort of thing your generosity makes possible. It's very nice when we can do extra things um, for people, and, you know, that's the thing that he wouldn't be able to do otherwise, but you're great, and so he gets to benefit by it. So thanks very much for that. Yes. Of course, yeah. I do not know, and my my guess is that they didn't know. So this, the question is, did they have the guy that we had who was fabulous? The best line of the trip, I think you'll agree with me, is when we're in Bethlehem, and somebody said to him, now he's an, he's an Arab, right? But he's Christian. And so, you know, somebody said to him, how long have you been, has your family been Christian? He said, from the beginning. <laughs> That's a good answer, right? So he lived, did he live in Bethlehem, actually? Was he in Bethlehem? I kind of remember that he lived in, you know, and our friend Pat Brown, who will never admit it, you know, makes a, where are you, is Pat Brown here? Teaching, she's teaching Sunday school. Yeah, I don't, um, you know, Pat Brown goes to a school in Bethlehem every year. She's a parish nurse. She goes to help and to teach. Do you know this? See, these, we put her picture up, but she is so... Yeah, reserved about it, right? You would never know this. But you have somebody in your congregation who goes to Bethlehem every year to help people. It's amazing type of stuff. Yes, please. He's going to be our speaker at April in our afternoon circle. I bet you would let people come in here, wouldn't you? You make a nice lunch, too, at the afternoon circle. Yes, you do. (laughs) So if you would like to hear Pat Brown speak to the afternoon circle... Uh, you just you just see you just come right here and that you'll you'll have a great lunch. It's it's always wonderful. So um, then you know these you know you have to be of a certain age to recognize these, right? Um, I, you know I recognize where mine is. It's on the back shelf just above the printer, where full of change, but where I would never possibly ever bring it back because I never think about it, right? So we're trying to do a little bit better. This is a mite box from the LWML ladies. Um, they'll give you one. Kathy Thorne's here somewhere. Right there. Right there. Right here. She's a nice woman. Uh, her husband, too. Very nice man. But she would give you one of these, and if you wanted to fill this up with your loose change and bring it back once a month, you could do good with hardly any effort on your part, right? I mean, this is really a small thing. Mite box, yeah. It's a, it's a small thing, and really all of us have enough change to fill a box once a month. So this is more about the discipline um, maybe if you, if you need you know, something to shoot at over Lent, this is not a bad idea. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't take much. I mean, you could even put it in your car and fill it with the change you get from you know, driving through Starbucks if you're not a card person. Okay, um, anyway, and thanks too. I should say, you know, I was away two Sundays. That's a rare thing for a pastor. Um, but the guys I work with and the people here and John Crow and you all, it's a very nice thing for me to be away. You, you, know, you know, you come to a certain age and your chances to be with your family are much smaller. So it's very nice when you can get that done. So I'm grateful to you that I can do that. And you, you barely notice, and that's, that's nice too. So that just, things just sort of perk along. Although, what did Pastor Nelson tell you? <laughs> if you had to sum it up, what Nelson said to you, can anybody sum it up? Because I, I can sum it up in about five words, but what, what would you say? What's the one thing or two that you remember from Pastor Nelson? Nice. Now, um, at least we didn't take another topic. That's always good. It would have had the slight smell of a coup about it. But if, you were gonna, if, if he was going to tell you what it was to be praying, what, what would you say? Pray 
Only Nelson could come to you and say, praying is kissing God on the lips, right? (laughs) He did say this, did he not? Yes, right. But of course, I tried to say that in a more technical way. Uh, However, it's better, you know, it's better the way he said it because um, it's about the relationship and not about the transaction. And to always keep that in mind cleans up so many things in the Christian life. We are hopelessly transactional in our dealings with other people and then also with God. That we're always trading things off. This is why the prodigal son is, is, you know, the consummate story where the boy comes home and he's got a plan in mind and he realizes he's done wrong, but he'll trade off just a little bit. I don't need to be a son anymore. I'd just like to be a servant. And the glory of the father who runs to him is to stop him from making a deal for a couple of reasons. One is there's no deal he could make that could excuse the fact that he asked his father to drop dead, right? So there's no deal he could make that could make his father love him more than he already does. It's a dealless relationship. God looks around the room and he doesn't love the lovable He loves the unlovable, and Luther says, and he makes them lovable. So when you hear a wedding sermon about love, you know, part of what you want to hear is that human attraction is transformed into divine virtue because we learn to love each other selflessly, right? So um, this notion of adoration, right, as being toward the mouth or a kiss on the lips, uh, it's not a bad. It's not a bad way to think about your prayers. It takes the transaction out of it, of course. And to to to, to, to think of when you pray that God answers you with a kiss is a very nice way to think about your life. And suddenly, then your prayers don't become work, or they don't become a burden. They become, you know, a joyful thing, a joyful response. I gave you a little piece from Luther that will run. In a couple of weeks, I'm not sure exactly, the 6th of March, whatever this is. Is that Ash Wednesday? Yeah. Says the woman who designs the bulletins and sends them out to me for proof. I sent it back to you last night, by the way. You're all, we're all good to go. You must not despair. Do you have this one? Do you have this one? It looks like a sheet from the bulletin. It looks like a sheet from the bulletin. It says March on the bottom, 6. You must not despair if you are not quickly rid of the temptation. In fact, we must never assume that we'll have release from temptation, relief from temptation, as long as we live. We must accept temptation as nothing else but, here it is, incentive and admonition to prayer. So the challenges in your life aren't meant to block your prayers, although they can if you engage them as such, but they can be taken as a stimulant to prayer even an encouragement to prayer. This is the, I've tried to say this to you over and over again for 20 years, you know, the great thing from Norman Nagel, every word can be said two ways. Every person can be received two ways. Everything can be done two ways, a law way and a gospel way. So you can say of your temptations, woe is me. Or you could say, um, the Lord loves me and here's a chance to pray about things. To be, and now try to think back to all the things that you are, Um, Little brother to Jesus, right? Courtier in the house of God. Chief of staff or advisor to the chief of staff, right? 
someone who's listened to, someone who's included, someone who's near. So your temptation is an incentive and admonition to prayer, to fasting, watching, laboring, to all the other disciplines to subdue the flesh, especially to practice and exercise faith in God. For there is no great chastity which enjoys peace and quiet. So everything's a fist fight, right? We haven't done this child any favors. The Christian life is a struggle. It's a slog. But occasionally you have these times when everything works. I hope in the course of your prayers, you've actually had at least, maybe in just the period we've been talking about it, I hope that you've had time where your prayers have been alive, when they've been refreshing to you, when they've come easily, when there's been more than you could expect. Um, This does happen, and you should rejoice in those times, and then you keep the discipline even when it's difficult, because it's just what Christians do. This is what we do. We say our prayers. Um, Real chastity is the kind which does battle with impurity. So don't touch evil, touch good. Struggles against it, and unceasingly drives out all the poison injected by the flesh and the devil. So you think about your temptation is being injected with something or exposed to something. Those who think that they can check temptation by yielding to it arouse themselves all the more. So, you know, it's the old C.S. Lewis thing. You don't get rid of, you know, evil doesn't go away by itself. It doesn't go away if it's engaged. It has to be uh, stopped and started in a different direction. Your life has to be stopped and then started in a different direction. It really is a death and a resurrection. Those who think they can check temptation by yielding to it arouse themselves all the more. And even if temptation lets up for a time, it still comes back stronger at another time and finds their nature weaker than before. So the opposite. So this is one I've talked to you about being able to see in your own spiritual life. Everybody has, this is way back to the desert mothers and desert fathers. You know, they go out to pray in the desert or they, they run away and, you know, they want to get away from all the temptations. They go out to Cappadocia. They live in caves. Um, and they, they talk about their temptations being worse than before. They thought they would get quiet. They thought they would get peace. They thought they wouldn't be distracted. They thought that they wouldn't be tempted. And the temptations are even worse. There's something about imagination, right, and being alone, which are both very difficult. You know, when you're alone, um, it's, very, it's, it's very easy for you to be picked off. And imagination left to itself can always imagine kind of worst-case scenario. Our fears just explode. And against that is living in a community where you go to the Eucharist and you hear the word. And the music was fabulous, right? I mean, I don't, it was just I, wherever you guys are, uh, Nathaniel and Peter and all the rest of you who played this morning. And many of those were kids who were playing. It was just startling how, you know. Uh, by the way, can you, can you hear okay? So the... Right? So the speakers are a good lesson in doing things right the first time. Sorry it took 10 years. But if you can't hear now, uh, you should let us know because we can slightly adjust things still or we can also get you hooked up with um, your ear pods. So anyway, you have these normal things and you shouldn't be horrified by that. You shouldn't be horrified by the fact that you have great times for prayer and prayers come easily. Coming to church comes easily. Reading your scriptures comes easily. Being nice to people comes easily. You shouldn't be horrified by the fact that you also have troughs where prayers are very difficult, perhaps even forgotten, where it's hard to come to church, where it's hard to be kind to other people. This is the normal course of human life. 
the trick is not to give in. The trick is to always touch the good and never to touch the evil. When everything is going great, more good. And when everything goes poorly, more good. And this is how, how struggles both um, test and reveal character. We find out who we are, not at the easy points. We find out who we are at the most difficult points in our lives. It's not just that these troughs build, build character. Yes, of course they do, well engaged. But it also reveals character. You find out about people at the difficult points in life. And in some ways, Lent, for example, is a pre-programmed difficult point. We're all going to find out about ourselves. We're all going to keep the disciplines together. We're all going to try to come to the vigil better than we were before. We're going to try to move out of the vigil into common time and live a life that is more righteous than it was last year at this time. So the church knows exactly what to do. This is the folly of pastors who make it up as they go along or who abandon the church here. Very, very smart people for two or 4,000 years, depending on how you want to count your history, have figured out what's best for us. Um, and there's very few, you know, once one person in a generation or one person in a century who can bump and nudge the needle in a way that is significant. The rest of us are just following along behind great women and great men who have shown us the way. So, you know, that's with that we all come to Lent. Um, Questions about any of that? So I want to clean some things up, uh, but I I also want to finish the piece that I've given you. I need a a question, though. Um, I got more questions about the names of Jesus than I anticipated. So one is because I do a good bit of that with baptism, and then a second one is, is I try to do it always in the new members' class. It's always the first couple weeks of the new members' class. If I took a couple, um, if I took a week or two just to kind of talk about the names of Jesus, what, what I find fascinating about you finding things fascinating is that it seems that this has generated more interest than almost anything else I've done since I started. I've gotten more emails about praying the names and using the names and how the names sort out. And I, wanna, I think I might want to just take a week and explore that maybe next week or the next week. Is, would that be okay? Or is that like you already know this? Okay, so here's what would be helpful for me. What would be helpful for me is if I gave you a list, of, and I gave it to you again, you know, of 100 names, and there's more. <coughs> Excuse me. If there's a name there that you're particularly interested in, it'd be really good if you just pop me an email. Because what happens to names is they aren't, they aren't out there just hanging in the air by themselves. They're actually in a context. So just take Jesus, for example, as a name. If you were walking down the street, you know, in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, and you said, hey, Jesus, nine guys would turn around, right? It's this extraordinarily common name, and that's part of the value of the name. What you're supposed to see about Jesus is he's an ordinary guy. When we say that Jesus takes flesh at Christmas, he takes ordinary flesh and he becomes an ordinary guy. So part of Jesus, the name Jesus, for example, is just this, he's a flesh and blood, you know, lunchbox, blue-collar Bears fan. That's Jesus, right? That's what he does. 
they had a farm team there. So, you know, it's all, they just, you know, that's what, that's so, there are things in each of those names which um, you might find valuable. Now, the thing is, the names aren't really like, they're not magic potion. And when I say to you, you know the answers to your prayers in advance if you know the names of Jesus. Um, that's like me saying a little bit like you know which car is in your garage when you walk outside this morning. The names of Jesus have content. So it's like this warehouse full of blessings, which many of us have only discovered, you know, maybe the first chamber or maybe just the first floor. But there are all these things that are promised to you, which frankly are yours to use and to have. And they're all good for you. And uh, like so many things, we don't access them. And those things are all in the name. So Jesus is very serious when he says, whatever you ask in my name, you can have. Right? So in, think of his name or his names as a house or a warehouse full of good things. Think of it as, a, as train cars, one after another. Every, every car is a name, and it's filled up with stuff for you. Um, and it's yours for the asking. You know, that's, that's how the names work. And so uh, you'll notice this morning, you know, the vicar left us prayers, and each one, um, Christ our rock, Christ our faithful one, Christ our... So he's telling you in each of those names what you can get out of him. So we pray one way for the sick, and we pray another way for the traveling, pray another way for the church. So maybe I'll do a little bit, but I can't do, you know, 200 names with you, but maybe I can do a couple and at least get you started thinking about that a little bit, if you want. So if you send me an email, I'll try to do, uh, I'll try to do what you want. <clears throat> I do have just a couple of things. I want to try to get everything cleaned up so that I've got a fresh space to go. I have a couple of email, just questions to think about. Um, so these, here's in, in any random order, um, here are some things that I had questions about. One is about you all being distracted. Not me. That could never happen to me. I'm a pastor. <laughs> But you're, you're distracted, being distracted in prayers. <clears throat> Maybe I should go all the way back to the, this is in the middle of the, stu- the big piece I handed out today, but it's hard to have a bad prayer. Right? A bad prayer is a prayer unsaid. And by prayer, I mean there are some basic parameters about you know, using a name and appealing to the triune God and through Christ. But, you know... Um, a couple things. So two, two related things. Trivial prayers and um, distracted prayers. Let's do trivial prayers first. So prayers for parking lots, parking spaces, right? You go to the Kmart, you know, you get a f- spot right up front. You think it's genius because Jesus heard your prayer. Really, it's because they just went into bankruptcy and that Kmart's closed. So <laughs> small miscalculation on your part. But nevertheless, you love the baby Jesus just a little bit more for it. You know, um, you know, can you pray about your lost car keys, for example? What? I didn't, what? I didn't, I was going to look the other way. I didn't, what? <clears throat> still searching, still searching. <laughs> Praying for warm weather. Uh, you know, can you pray, yeah, can you pray about these things? Of course you can pray about these things. But if you obsess on them or they're the only things you pray for, one of the things I notice in, in prayers when they become trivial is that they become a list of trivial things. I want a pony, I want a pony, give me a pony, please, I want a pony, right? Nothing wrong with ponies. But that's, you know, and if you get a pony, fabulous. Why would anybody leave a pony country for a non-pony country, right? So, you know, yes, of course, you know, you know, it's fine. You can pray for that if you want. But it shouldn't be the only thing. 
So, you know, trivial things, of course, make all your needs known, but is your really greatest need, you know, a close parking spot? Uh, maybe, but, you know, kind of maybe you could broaden things out just a little bit with kind of reflection on your own life and others' life. And you read, for example, I didn't bring it, but the prayer of Clement, I think, the, I think this week, the Clement, St. Clement has the prayer at the end. I'm always startled by, you know, it's six lines long, and he prays for everything in the whole world, and it's not even stuff that I would think about. Did anybody bring a bulletin up? Has anybody got one? Can I just see your bulletin? You know, this is the kind of thing where I'm, was it, was it today? It was last week. I'm a whole week behind? Seriously? Yeah, so, uh, sorry, okay, Clement was last week. But I, when I read those, I'm, you know, for example, he prays for prisoners in chains or people who are trapped in the mines or people who are enslaved in some way. I mean, all you have to do is watch the news. You watch a half an hour of world news, all those things come up, and we don't pray for any of them much, right? So that's part of the problem with trivial prayers. It crowds out praying for people who are enslaved, for example. Um, the second thing, just in terms of distracted prayer, I'm not too awful concerned about this. Think about it this way. The liturgy is built the way it's built to take you to some fantastic places. You can sort of shoot through the liturgy bit by bit, and if you're disciplined, you know, your Lord have mercy is, you know, just before your Old Testament lesson, and you get to the gospel, and then there's a sermon, and the incense goes up, and, you know, the cherubim come down, and life is going. Yeah, it's fine. But almost always, I would guess if I talk to you about this, you go somewhere else during the liturgy, right? So this is what happens. You say to yourself, the music is fabulous. Wait, I can hear it better than I did last week. Look, it's those little kids playing again. How does that work out? Where did they get the big guys? I wonder who's a volunteer and who's a member up there. So by the time you come back to us, right, it's the psalm after the Old Testament. <laughs> but here's the good thing for you. We're still here. Jesus is here. Your friends are here. Come back to us. We still love you. And this, of course, is not a horrible thing. Now, if all your um, doing is thinking about, you know, the, 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 you know, whether the Cubs will sign Bryce Harper or, if, or worse is, and you, can, you just have to know that we know this, if you have your phone out and they're playing a game, yeah, we can see that from the pulpit, okay? <laughs> there used to be a, a dad and his son who used to play a game back and forth on their smartphones during the sermon. You know, if I could bring lightning from heaven... Maybe just nearby, just as a kind of a warning shot. So, you know, like everything else, there's different kinds of distractions. You know, when you're rejoicing in what the gifts have brought you to and you start to remember, you know, your mom or your deceased father or your kids or the aunt who was really great to you, you know, when you start to be thankful for that or when you start to wonder about how many wings angels really do have, you know, all those things are fair game. Those are the imagine. It's why we pick pictures of your dead relatives in the windows. Because if we're really boring, just sort of turn to the right and reflect on those 12 disciples and how it must have felt when, you know, Jesus said, it's me. Right? So I'm not too concerned about distraction. You might begin to understand I'm not too concerned at all if you would just say your prayers. It's more about just saying your prayers. They'll sort of take care of themselves if you just kind of follow the basics of using a name and sort of um, having some fun. And then just another thing about, uh, you know, whether you can pray for things and against things. Of course, you can pray for things, and there are things you should pray against. Um, But you should be careful. 
the primary thing you should probably pray against is yourself. And the full range of your prayers is when um, you recognize that you might be the problem. And pride, of course, is the original sin. And it's the most difficult thing for all of us to see in ourselves. We're pretty sure we're smart. We're pretty sure we're right. And most of us exercise a fair bit of power in our lives. It's just where it's our station in life here. That makes it doubly dangerous for us. There are things you should pray against. You should pray against the new abortion law in New York, right? I mean, this is, we are very close to genocide. I mean, you should pray against that. Um, you should pray, uh, you know, against evil where you see it. You should pray against that. Just try to be sure you're right. It's dangerous to pray against other people. Um, for my enemies, I normally pray that the Lord would sort them out with mercy. Because I don't know enough about my enemies. And of course, I betray myself in that because as you know, what? Jesus doesn't have any enemies, so I don't have any enemies, right? So even the fact that you, you know, people come to mind as enemies uh, is a dangerous thing, of course. And to to ask the Lord, sort of the way of of guaranteeing that it'll all go well, is to ask the Lord to sort this out in the way of mercy. That he would deal with persons mercifully. Um, You know, the Lord's will is that every last person would come to the Holy Eucharist on his terms. And the Lord's will is that every last person would be saved. Uh, On reflection, you and I uh, are not often aligned with the Lord's will. There are people that we'd rather not spend eternity with or maybe even go to the Holy Supper with. Lewis, I go to the Supper to learn to love those that I don't like. So um, I would just, you know, can you pray against things? You should pray against things that are clearly evil. Should you pray against people? Yeah, okay, although your ability to see somebody's heart... uh, is not very sharp, and to distinguish evil, just be very careful. And if you do, be sure to pray against yourself. And when you do, make sure that you would ask the Lord to sort it out mercifully, as mercifully for somebody else as he sorts it out for you. And then, you know, it's up to the Lord's uh, will. And just kind of a final thing. There was a margin comment. I might have run while I was away, but there was a great margin comment about it's an ancient father, a monk or somebody who sort of said when troubles come, then I say um, this to the glory of Jesus or thy will be done, which are similar ways of saying the same thing, right? Same thing said in different ways. Uh, it's a very rarely our reaction to things that are people that challenge us. We normally have um, a much more righteous and somewhat prideful reaction to challenges. Now, you know, I'm not trying to blur the edges between what's good and what's evil. Good and evil are completely clear. My ability or your ability to uh, distinguish good and evil, and then particularly to distinguish other people as good and evil, you know, your uh, number of hits out of 100 are steadily diminishing. So the way you can cure that is to Pray in the name of Jesus or in one of the holy names to pray that things are finished up with mercy. 
because mercy is the single message of the gospel. Of course, if you refuse that, God will let you have your way forever. I mean, if you're just desperate to be under the law, if you're desperate to be under judgment, if you're desperate, as that thing from Milton says, I think today, although they're all confused in me now, if you would rather reign in hell than be a servant in heaven, you know, okay, God will let you have your way. But you shouldn't pray that for anybody else. You should be praying that all people come to the Holy Eucharist in this life and all people come to the Holy Eucharist in heaven forever and then let the Lord sort that out. So just, just you know, uh, just, just be careful. Just be careful. Okay, anything else just about any of that? Yes, Dennis. What about, I'll call them state prayers, ecumenical prayers, yeah. where you're at a group? Yeah. You have one of those type of dear brooding on the presence, you know, <laughs> preserve the state, that type of thing. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend who was a pretty high-level Senate aide at one time and asked me if I wanted to pray at the Senate. You know, they let people open the Senate chambers, right? And um, I said, hey, can I pray in the name of Jesus? He's like, ah. So I was like, well, okay, you know. And it's gotten worse. That was, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, so it's gotten worse. Um, there are at least two parts of that. One is, you know, sort of offering that. You're offering less than we've been given to say. So you're saying less than we've... The whole truth and nothing but the truth, as a judge might say, um, or an attorney, right? Or even an FDIC guy, who knows? So um, uh, I'm uh, not a fan, but a longer conversation is what sort of witness we could have, say, for example, when there's a national tragedy. Do we just absent ourselves from that if other people are encouraged to pray? Um, that's a longer conversation, and we struggle with that as a denomination, how to, how to handle that. But I, So I'm um, you know, kind of amorphous blob prayers. Yeah. See, the, G, the only Jesus you know is that guy Jesus. Hey, Jesus, and nine guys turn around you. I mean, mean that one, right? That guy right there, born of Mary. I mean, you don't really have, other than that, it's religion as a human construct. This is the difference between Christianity. We actually say, and I know everybody says this, but we actually say um, we're different. And, of course, the reason we say we're different is because God does everything and gives it to us as a gift. That makes us unique among all the religions. So um, God does this and gives it to us as a gift. Our prayers have to reflect that. So anyway, I'm not saying any of those prayers. And, uh, you know, if you're found in that place, you're just respectful, like you're respectful of people that you disagree with in all other ways. I see hints of civilization coming back. There must have been four or five essays that came across my email this week about um, maybe a civilized uh, disputation is better than um, just telling everybody else how horrible they are and trying to shame them into, you know, into a dark closet. So, you know, and, and I think you have a responsibility as a Christian, I have a responsibility as a pastor to always give a good witness. But the, the more difficult ones are when you have Say, for example, a school shooting, right? Or, uh, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? What do you do? How do you give pastoral care? Where can you be? And, of course, this is like a funeral. A funeral director's job is to make everybody happy. A funeral director's job is different than mine. His job is to make sure there isn't a fist fight and all the bills get paid. That's his job, right? My job is to say something about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. So we have 
they can be complementary, but they're not the same job because I'm not necessarily trying to make everybody happy. I would like everybody to be happy, but sometimes I can't, right? So it's a little, you're a little bit like that. You're trying to do your best in a situation that can be tough. Um, but you do your best and then civilly, I mean kindly, and let the Lord sort it out. Um, and that's kind of the best witness sometimes you can give. Other questions about anything else? I do actually want to get rid of this outline because I've had it for so long. It's growing stale. <laughs> okay. So uh, let me just... Um, so I'm going to take you to, to Luther since, you know, it can't really go wrong. So under point eight, right? I just want you to understand how wonderful your prayers can be. <clears throat> if we have this mediator in our hearts and minds that he came from the Father, that he carried the Father's command to take away sin and death from us, then we ourselves are able to pray. So this is easy, right? He loves us. He builds a relationship. We realize how we've been loved, and our natural response is to love him back. He kisses us. We kiss him back. If we believe this, I'm justified in saying, I know that my Heavenly Father is glad to hear my prayers. Inasmuch as I have Christ the Savior in my heart, Christ prayed for me, and for this reason, my prayers are acceptable through his. Accordingly, and this is, I just, this is a brilliant thing, we weave our praying into his. And then the next paragraph, he's forever the mediator for all men. Through him, we come to God. In him, we must incor- incorporate and envelop all our prayers. So you think of your prayers going up, and Christ is the envelope. Right? So you're mailing your prayers in, and, but Christ is the envelope. You know that it's going to be very, very well received. But all this is said to Christians for the purpose of giving them boldness and confidence to rely on this. To pray with complete assurance. For we hear in this way he unites us with himself. So Luther, you go to the Eucharist, you're cemented to Jesus. You get baptized, you're adopted into the family. Okay? It really, and you can, you can hardly read this, right? This is sort of an astounding thing. It puts us on a par with him and merges our praying into his and his into ours. What greater honor could be paid to us than this? That our faith in Christ entitles us to be called brothers and co-heirs. And we've done a big bunch of this, right? We're family. <clears throat> that our prayer is to be like his. That there's really no difference... Right? And so I've often said to you people, I read a thing on California has a new law coming out, um, just been introduced to force priests to reveal what's said in confession. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting tussle. Uh, I mean, the church deserves this kind of response, given the church's horror as we continue to find out longer and longer. But one of the interesting things about going to confession is that it stops the things of the past from polluting the future. So the seal of the confession means that what you say to your confessor ends there when it's forgiven. So it doesn't go forward to corrupt your future. Right Now there are other things that we can talk about. You know, I've said to you often, if you, if you rob a bank and come to me and confess, I'll forgive you and then we're going to find you a good lawyer, we're going to take the money back. 
So don't hear me as saying there's not restitution to be made or justice to be served. But it doesn't, it doesn't control or impose itself on your future in the way that it did when it was unforgiven. When you, a shorthand way of me saying that to you is that when you pray with your voice, God the Father hears Jesus' voice. Right. This is what Luther's saying here. When you pray with your voice, he hears Jesus' voice. When God looks at you, when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. This is a startling thing, right? You can hardly believe it. This is why, and I'm not going to read the other quote, but I gave you the other quote and read it last time we were together, where he says, you are gods and mediators. You can, you can hardly, I mean, you can hardly make that come out of your mouth. You can only say it because Luther said it, and you can step aside if anything bad happens, blame it on him, right? <clears throat> There's no difference except that our prayers originate in him and in his name. He makes himself, I'm sorry, he makes us equal to himself in all things. Right? And see, that's the gift. You don't make yourself equal to God. God makes you equal to him. And of course, this goes, you know, there's a whole tradition about talking. We're very uncomfortable as Lutherans, but the Orthodox speak about the divinization of human beings or the glory of God uh, is man fully divined. Irenaeus, I think, right? You know, we hardly can talk that way, but there is a way that that can be properly understood. So, the holy work for you to do is to say your prayers. And in a difficult world, that you would say your prayers, especially in a way that would always act in love for other people, makes the church a welcoming place, and it makes the church the place that it should be. This is um, under point 11. And this is what makes Christ's work different, right? This is what makes our work different. That we can create a place where we actually live in the image of God and, you know, walk in the way of God. All right, we've got to go to church, even though it's really fun to be back with you. If you send me um, a couple of names you'd like me to explore this week, I'll do the legwork for you. Especially if you send me a particular verse where you see that name and you're curious about how it works in context. So I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a few at least next week. And we'll, talk just, we'll take a little sidebar and talk about the names and uh, why you should use them, what that means for you, okay? All right, love you. Great to be back. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, cheers. See you next week. And get a mic box from Kathy.